Yes. Well, Bay City, let me ask you the question. You expect them this morning? Are you expecting this morning? It's a good thing because I've come to learn that expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. And there's one thing I've come to learn as I've been walking with Christ, I've been walking with God, there's only one thing that I've found that is impossible for God. <sighs> Shock horror. One thing that I've found that is impossible for God. What is that? The Bible says that nothing is impossible for God. So friend, this morning when you come with a heart full of faith and expectancy, it is impossible for God to do nothing. It is impossible for God to do nothing. So whether you've come with a, a need for a healing in your heart, whether you've come for a financial breakthrough, or whether or not you've come to see your family reunited, expectancy, friend, is a breeding ground for a miracle. And God sits in heaven, and when he sees faith, he can't help himself. Our God cannot do nothing. Nothing is impossible for God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. Awesome. Well, I brought a couple of guests with me this morning. Uh, they are a product of a miracle. Seven years ago, my wife and I, when we were deciding to have a family, we had the crazy idea of asking God for twins, which is a crazy notion. Twins. Most women would cringe at the thought of twins, but my wife and I, we decided, no, we, we, we wanted twins. There's no twins in our family line. There's no genealogy of twins, but we had the crazy notion to ask God for twins. So when we had our first pregnancy, we went to the, uh, the, the person who does the scans, the scanny lady, and, uh, and we just had that faith and expectancy that we were going to have twins. Don't ask me. I mean, God, out of all the things that God could do, that's the least on his list of things to do. He's got a He's got African kids to, to feed. He's got everything to do. But God responds to faith and expectancy. Don't ask me how that works. But we went and they did the scan and sure enough, there was only one little boy. His name was Max. He was my firstborn. And tonight, we're going to go, we're going to rush back after service and he's in this massive production. So we're going to race back to Auckland, try to get back there for seven o'clock so we can see him in his first big production. Max was there. I, I turned to the lady, I said, are you sure there's not two? Are you sure? Check. Put the scanny thing over to the side here. Because I think you'll find that there's two. Because faith and expectancy was in my heart for twins. And we asked, you know, there's a power and agreement. When two or more are gathered together, especially in a marriage relationship, and you ask, you can expect. Nothing happened. So anyway, a couple of years went by. Second pregnancy. I'd forgotten, but my wife had not. And we went, same scanny person, same scanny machine, same thing, all of a sudden, there's not one, but there's two. And Charlie and Lucy were right there and they're now a gift from heaven. And every baby is a gift from heaven, I understand that. But these two are our personal little miracles on the front here. And uh, we were just so, so excited. The, boat, the, uh, the, 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 the guy couldn't believe, or the lady couldn't believe that we were so excited about twins because they say that 
A man could be brown when he walks in and leave white when he finds out that he's having twins. And all the brothers said... And usually the lady walks out and she's got grazers on her chin because the jaw drops so far when they find out the news. But no, we knew that we'd ask for that. So this is Charlie and Lucy and we've also got another little boy called Sam. He's two years old and he is our completion to the family. And uh, so we've got four kids. We come from a great church and Pastor Peter and Bev send their love to you, Pastor Mike and Joy. And uh, the last thing he said before I left the office, he he said, you make sure you pass my love. So they, they... Big love from Pastor Peter and Bev. I want to thank uh, Pastor Dave as well and Pastor Kate for um, entrusting me with the youth last night and, uh, and also for opening up the, I want to thank you guys for opening up the platform here this morning. So we're going to get straight into scripture and I want you guys to turn with me to the book of Mark. We're going to start reading, uh, reading in Mark 2 verse 1 to 12 and hopefully it might come up on the screens but if it doesn't, that's fine. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Church say, he was in the house. He was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him. Everybody said, they came to him. Bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, everybody say, their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Scribes are not very clever, amen? Not very clever. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were reasoning within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, pick up your bed, and go to your house. And I love this last passage. Immediately, immediately he rose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all, and they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Amen? Bay City, Jesus is in the house, amen? Jesus is in the house, and people out there, they know it. And our responsibilities as Christians, believers, is to bring people to the house, to be stretcher bearers. I mean, it's one thing, and it's a good thing to invite people to to church, right? It's a good thing. But it's next level when we go beyond the invite card and the tract and we become the vehicle, the stretcher bearer to bring people to the house of God because people out there, friend, know exactly what they're going to find when they come to the house. They don't know what it's going to be packaged up like, but God is the creator of all 
And he wired them all up. And he knows, and they know, that when they come to the house, they will find Jesus Christ. Our responsibility, first and foremost, well, not first and foremost, one of our big responsibilities is to be stretcher bearers. Bring people to the house of God. Amen? I remember, I mean, this is, this is, a per, this is, this is quite personal to me because I know when I was uh, in my pre, I call them my pre-Christian days. When I was in my pre-Christian days, there was, there was some really, really good people that, um, that God put about, uh, across my path when I was out and about. There was some guys at school who were great guys who, 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 who always sowed seeds of faith. And I remember watching characters like Michael Jones on, on TV, sowing seeds of faith. They were all building expectancy of what I would find when I came to an encounter with Jesus Christ. There was an also a guy I remember very, very well. His name was Darren, and I worked with him uh, at one of my companies when I was a bread boy putting bread into bread shelves. And this guy, Darren, made such a massive impact on my life. And I remember one day he invited me to church. And I couldn't refuse the offer. And I turned up to church. It was Auckland City, Elam Church in the city. And I turned up to church, and I arrived in the car park. And service had started. But something inside of me held me back from walking into that service that day. Fear, the unknown. I knew that I needed to get in there, but I couldn't cross the finish line and get into church. That opportunity passed me by. A couple of years later, I praise God for good family, good Christian family. And my oldest brother, Andrew, who was the only one of us who was walking with the Lord at the time, had the guts. He knew everything about me. Everything. Family knows everything. He knew everything about me. Yet he still became a stretcher bearer. And he still took the risk of saying, Hey, Greg, why don't you come with me to church? That was the morning that my life was encountered by Jesus Christ. I walked into that place. I had tears streaming down my eyes from start to finish. The presence of God. This friend is the gate of heaven. I had an encounter with Jesus Christ that morning because my my brother was bold enough and gutsy enough, not just to invite me, but to actually bring me to the house where I was saved. Amen. We need to be stretcher bearers, church. The presence of God is here. 2 Samuel 16 to 11, character called Obed-Edom. He understood the power of the presence of God. And Cheyenne, you did an awesome, awesome job this morning of opening up people's hearts and opening up the platform. The presence of God is a precious, precious thing. In 2 Samuel verse 6, 10 to 11, Obed-Edom understood this, and so did his family. His family benefited from it. It says, he, David, had a little bit of a, a thing where someone... Uh, got struck down and killed, and David, you know, was not in such a good place, was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside. He took the presence of God aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. That's a nice handle, right? The Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house, in the house. The ark of the Lord, the presence of God, remained in the house 
of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. The presence of God is found in the house, and Jesus will be found in the house, and we have to bring people to the house so they can experience that blessing. Amen? Obed-Edom, my friend, knew this principle. He took care of the ark of the presence of God, and it was written that the house that he lived in was blessed because of it. Often, we can get caught up in trying to figure out people's problems. We fall into a trap as Christians, and it is a trap, of trying to reason with people before we can bring them to the house. We see all the things that could possibly be wrong with them. And we think that we've got to, got to become a life coach or a counselor for them. And how are they ever, ever, ever going to get over all the stuff in their life if I bring them here? What's it going to be like? That is not our responsibility. You've got great pastors here. You've got great leaders. But do you know what? As I was writing this message, I was thinking back to my early days as a Christian, and I can't ever remember having the pleasure or the benefit of sitting across the table with one of my pastors, downloading all the stuff that was going on in my life. I can't ever remember that. What I do remember is I remember the times when I came to the altar and I responded to the message from the man or the woman of God who was standing at the pulpit, and I remember responding to God at the altar because I understood I understood didn't take me long to understand that the presence of God was found in the house. And time after time, I remember coming to the altar and responding to God, and then things and shackles starting to break off my life. Habits that used to bind me, all of a sudden, paled to insignificance because I knew the power of the presence of God. Don't get caught into the trap of trying to reason with people or I sit down, I, I, I look at some of my youth leaders sometimes and I can see some of them starting to get a little bit burnt out and because they go round and round and round in circles with people when really we could be bringing them to the altar where they have that life-changing encounter with Christ, where the shackles fall off, where freedom comes. And I remember sometimes just walking back from the altar and one person, I remember Pastor Mark, he's an awesome, awesome pastor, just one day, he just leaned to me and said, you know what? It's okay. Don't be so hard on yourself. I can remember those times. The presence of God is found in the house. This is a gate of heaven. It's not, go, it's not get caught up in trying to reason with people. Let's just be the stretcher bearers and bring them to the house. Amen? Amen. Verse 3. Then they came to him. Then they came to him. Who was they? Everybody say, I am they. I am they. I am the stretcher bearer. Well, a bit louder. That's good. And they could not come near him because of the crowd. So I like this. They uncovered the roof where he was. One version says they dug through. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Church, the Bible says... They uncovered the roof. What am I trying to say by this point? They looked outside the box. They looked outside the square for a solution. They were that desperate to get the man into the presence of Jesus Christ. 
that they look for an out-of-the-box solution. As Christians, we walk with the power of the living God living and breathing and active inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit for every, every single situation. He will never, ever let you down. If you step out of faith, you look for an outside-the-box solution to talk to people about Christ, He will not let you down. I remember one encounter. Um, there was, I had a good friend at school. His name was Kevin Hay. He was the funniest guy I knew. Funniest guy I knew. Absolutely full of life. After school, I lost contact with him. And then one day, actually it was over two or three days, I saw Kevin, after about 15, 20 years, about three times, in just the weirdest and weirdest of places. And I knew then it was God was on his case, and God was on my case about him. In 15 or 20 years, Kevin had gone from being the funniest, funniest guy that I knew to being a guy, if you looked into his eyes, was so hurt. He'd spent some time, doing time, covered in tats, angry, still funny, a little bit funny on the outside, but I know that life had beaten him up big time. And I remember my third encounter with him, I said, Kev, we've got to get together. He asked me what I did. I said, you know, I'm a pastor. He's all oh, good, good, good. You're going to try to get me to church. Oh, Kevin, well, let's just catch up. So I remember sitting down with him and having a catch up. And I talked to him. And we talked and we talked and we talked. And all the way through the conversation, I'm going, Holy Spirit, you've got to give me something. Holy Spirit, you've got to give me something. He's hard, hard on the outside. Soft on the inside, hard on the outside. You've got to give me something. I said, you've got to give me a word of knowledge. Give me something so that I can open up this opportunity. And what does God do? He drops the thing that you don't want to talk about. He said, tell him about the encounters that he's been having at home. Great. What type of encounters, God? Not some demonic encounters. Great. What a great topic conversation starter. So, Kevin, tell me about the demonic encounters you've been having at home. No. So, anyway, we, we keep progressing. I said to Kevin, so, um, Kev, this is going to sound weird, mate, but you've been seeing some weird stuff at home. And all of a sudden, he stopped in his tracks. Tears started to stream down his face. I've never seen such a grown man so broken as when God pinpoints something in his life. And he started to pour out his heart. He says, you don't understand. The guys I run with, the crew I run with, I could not talk to them about this. I am so bound up by fear right now that I am scared to go home by myself. I said, Kevin, it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus Christ has come to set you free. And that weekend, he came to church with me with his little girl, and the two of them gave their heart to Jesus Christ. Amen.
God will always give you the out-of-the-box solution, the through-the-roof solution when you ask, when you step out in faith. And Christians, this is our unfair advantage. Number one, that we have such an amazing... There is nowhere else on this earth that you can experience the presence of God like you do in the house of God. And on top of that, to have the power... And the unfair advantage of the Holy Spirit, who knows everything about everybody, he's got the DL on everyone. He leaves Women's Weekly for dead. He has a DL on everybody. He knows everything there is to know about everybody. Are we willing to ask? And are we willing to step out? And are we willing to take the lid off the roof? I pray we are. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 9 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. I love faith. To another, gifts of healing. Oh, yes, by the same Spirit. So who are these gifts for? What does Scripture say? Who who does Scripture say these gifts are for? For who? Each one of us. All. Given to all. And who are they for? Who are they for, church? The prophet of all. They're for everybody. They're for us to give to everybody. So no excuses, amen? Amen. It's good. Coming back to the stretcher bearers now, the crew created a way that was outside the box to bring the paralytic to Jesus through the roof. These guys were not traditional. Not traditional. So what is different about you and I? Our lives, when we walk into our schools, when we walk into our workplace, when we walk into the marketplace, What is different about us? Is there something different? I pray there is. I know there is. You've got Christ on the inside. Do people know it? Because it's given to each one of us for the profit of all. And you know what? Christ is looking for some non-conformists. Some people that will not conform to what is the norm out in the marketplace. Some people who are not sitting back and letting come what may, but looking for opportunities to step up and to stand out and to be different, to be the salt, to be the light that Pastor was talking about this morning, to make a difference. Nonconformists change the world. You just, you've got to look at the Bible. The Bible is full of nonconformists. Daniel did not conform to what was traditional, stood out. Try something different. Paul, a nonconformist. Look at modern day times. Guys like Martin Luther King, willing to step up and to stand out. And your very own pastors here, who I know, and I'm hearing stories after stories, of the great things that they are doing across the globe because they are willing to step up and to stand out and to be different and not conform to the spirit of the world but to stand out for the sake of others because of what they have inside, the hope of glory. Amen? Amen. Verse 5. Then Jesus saw their faith. 
And he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Their faith, not the paralytics. When he saw their faith, when he saw the stretcher bearer's faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. So it wasn't the crowd, it wasn't the paralytic, but it was the people who had the guts enough to bring the paralytic into the presence of God. Jesus is looking for a faith that he can use. He's looking for a generation that is bold and unashamed of the gospel. And let me bring this closer to home. When he sees you rise up in faith and believe in miracles, he says to the lost that surround you, stand up, pick up your stretcher, and walk. Your sins are forgiven you. Friend, it is our faith which is crucial to seeing the breakthrough in the lives that surround us. AV team, have you got that video? I just want to show you a quick clip of uh, some of our crazy youth and what they do over summer. This summer, we're going to be going out and about into the nation. We're going to seven different locations from the, from the south, Lake Wanaka to the north, Whananaki, Waihi, Pawanui. We're going to popular beach locations. We go there every year. Why? Because we can't help it. I, say the, I see these youth, and they get so on fire every year, year in, year out, to go and reach not only young people, they do kids' programs, but they also go out to the beach locations and reach out and uh, reach the lost. 460-odd decisions for Christ last year in one week alone because young people of faith went out and stood in the gap. Amen? Put your hands together. I'm just going to show you a little clip. Back in the day, the coolest thing to do in summer was Summer Impact. You'd pack up your mates in the old Holden Special and head on out of town. It didn't matter you didn't know how to get to Fenena Kenakenu. Everyone else would tell you where to go. And then there was that 15 minute stop for ice cream. And nobody minded that you mixed theirs with a little bit of gravel. And that long, hot summer sun that burned on meant you could all be guaranteed of a great tan, which kept Meredith McKay real happy. And cricket was always a feature, because no one took it too serious except our newfound mate Digger from Coolangatta. Every year there'd be some little whippersnapper who'd never leave you alone. When it came to food, you couldn't go past the barbie and plenty of leftovers for breakfast the next day. Rest assured, there were always a healthy dose of sceptics who didn't care about all the God stuff. But it didn't matter, because there'd always be heaps getting born again. And it didn't get better than that. You were there, and so was JC. World famous since 2,000 years ago. So some of our crazy youth, I absolutely love them to bits. But they understand that their faith is so important to bringing people to Jesus Christ. 
There's one particular story I remember so vividly from last year. I, I was staying at a place called Waihe, and we had a new team leader taking the team to Waihe. And uh, I remember one day, and, and you know what? When I, go, when I go away, you automatically think, you know, people are going to default to you and, you know, as a leader, whatever, whatever. But I'm so proud of this young man. One day, it was about two days into mission, they were running great kids' programs. They were doing wonderful, wonderful things, being nice Christian people. But he said to the team, and it was a team of about 20 people, and it was a brand new leader. He said to the team, you know what? You're doing well, team. But the presence of God is not here. So what does he do? He turns to the team, big call, and says, guys, tomorrow morning, five o'clock, that hill, we're going up to the top, and we are not coming back until we have encountered God, until we've brought back the presence of God. Early in the next morning, five o'clock, I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know about the call. I didn't talk to him about it. I didn't encourage him to do it. It wasn't my suggestion. It was a God suggestion. Five o'clock the next morning, he takes the team up to the top of the hill. They have the most amazing, amazing worship time. The presence of God fills where they are. They come back down. All of a sudden, the program that they're running has a new dimension. And by the end of the week, in this brand new location, with this brand new leader, over 100 young people gave their heart to Jesus Christ. Over 100 young people. Why? Because they understood that their faith was so important to these people who were lost. Verse 12 says, Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We ain't seen nothing like this. Do you see what happens here? The paralytic takes his stretcher and went from the presence of them all. And they were all amazed and glorified God. And look what happens next. In one encounter with Christ, the paralytic goes from being the sick to being the healed. He goes from being the person searching for solutions to now becoming the answer themselves. He goes from being the passenger to becoming the messenger in church. This is how multiplication happens. Our faith is the key to start the ball rolling. Because why? The gate of heaven is right here. Let me bring it back. The gate of heaven is right here. And you know what? You've got the greatest messengers waiting out there. The greatest evangelists. The greatest teachers still yet to come out there. But are we willing to be the stretcher bearer? I pray we are. I pray we are. As we come to a close this morning, my very clear challenge to you is to be a stretcher bearer. Take a step of faith. Understand that you have the power of the living God living and breathing inside of you. He's got the answer for everything. Please don't try to reason with people. But press in and ask the Holy Ghost. Have that moment. Take your time aside and ask God, what is it about this person that's going to get them to come to church with me? Because I know, and they know, what they'll find when they come here. Amen.